This is an excerpt from Different Ways Revealing the Feminine by Seal, published 2020. Chapter 7 Academy Award Like many young people, I got through school not by achieving academic excellence, but by finding something interesting to connect with in an offered elective. I sought a foothold to stay in the game. For some, it was sports or music. For me, it began with music and then theater and dance. My love for entertaining began very early for me when I fashioned an impressive robotic character in an elementary school performance. I got some attention for it, and I enjoyed it. I doubt I would have made it through high school if it hadn't been my need to keep up my grades so I could be in shows. I made lifelong friends on the boards in my latter years of school. I nearly didn't graduate as I had a nervous breakdown, lost a coveted part in a show, and was pulled out of school for a few months my junior year. Stress and mind-expanding drugs were suspect. In hindsight, There was the hormonal time bomb ticking within me after having been molested that no doubt played an enormous role in my inability to cope. This type of trauma was off the radar at that time. There was no vocabulary that could be openly shared or established for the cause and effect of these things yet. There were still so many things that existed, that happened to kids, things that sat and lurked. Child abuse was not talked about. I was in a place beyond assistance. I was in rehearsals for a show, and I couldn't stop crying. This was my symptom. I would involuntarily weep as I continued to go about my school day. My body had taken over my presence in the world. Tears flowed out in a constant stream. It was embarrassing. I went through my days as a weeping statue of Guadalupe. It unnerved people to see me singing, laughing, and carrying on normally with tears pouring out of me. I had to forfeit the part I secured in the school play, and I was sent home for months where I sat on the edge of my bed at Nana's, feeling vacant and lost, crying. I had permission to be sad. Girls could be sad. Anger was forbidden. My exile felt like a type of punishment. This time alone in solitary set in me the tenuous aspect of my ever-seeing success and my suppressed anger made my being present in my body even more tenuous. I was sent to a teen therapy group where no one said anything because, well, we were all teens. There was pink burlap on the basement walls and the therapist came in and sat down one day and began to cry. Nervous, we sat giving each other the side eye, seeking clues of what to do now. She apologized to us and said, I I just lost my first patient. They killed themselves. A ripple of terror went through the handful of us that were there as we wondered what the protocol for this development was. She doubled over in her chair and collapsed into her hands. 
I couldn't stand to see her crumbling there in front of us, and I ran to her side and held her, feeling helpless and out of my league with this kind of thing, while she broke down until she could reclaim herself. The kids would become so lost and desperate that they would kill themselves was something that never occurred to me as a reality before. That day I witnessed the collateral damage of such an act, the terrible helplessness of survivors, and how those connections to another life pull one into darkness as if following and chasing after them. Suicide leaves us to the long-involved task of untangling ourselves from one kind of love to another kind of love that flies alone, flailing, lacking ballast, and vulnerable. The weeping stopped, and eventually I would return to school as a senior. I did some theater, went on to graduate. The world took on layers of complications for me. I had never developed much of an interest in studying and achieving. There were activities that I loved to do, but they would be of no concern. There were no designs in my family of my ever attaining anything but marriage and babies. I didn't even think about such things in relationship to my life. But Mom and Nana did. I was a girl, and no one could even imagine an advantage to a female going to college. If they did, no one ever spoke of such options to me. I was the only child of the four who walked out of high school with a degree save my brother, who, rumor has it, Mom had to negotiate over with the administration for his diploma. My eldest sister dropped out of school and lied about her age to join the Army. My other sister, still a teenager herself, dropped out, got pregnant, and married. The focus was clearly on grooming me to marry the best possible suitor. Even if I showed promise, I doubt it would have been recognized as being valuable. None of us were brainiacs. I had, however, an insatiable curiosity and a zest for living large. I was undersold in an unforgiving time and trapped in a slow orbit, waiting for time and evolution to give birth to what I needed, waiting for a place to stand, waiting for it to appear. Until in time, it did. Eventually, platforms manifested, doors appeared, and sometimes even encouragement was granted. I had fancied my future as an actress when I was a child, but I had no idea what a big part of my life skills would be enabled by my ability to take on a role. I did all the outside things, being interested in theater, music, all forms of singing and dancing, all things entertaining. But I was, unbeknownst to me, really designing a lifestyle for myself of constant motion, audition, and change of venue. Part of this was a spawn of healthy, natural curiosity and a resiliency, but it was also my way to hide my true identity and keep myself hidden from harm, to always be someone else. A life of constant movement and changing roles was contrary to what I had been taught to believe would make me safe and taken care of as a female in the world, however. I have spent a good deal of my precious life trying to accommodate these two very 
irreconcilable lifestyle polarities. Consequently, I am not well-traveled, well-loved, nor well-educated. But I could charm and act up a storm enough to get just about anything I needed to survive. I could reinvent myself as someone else whenever necessary, with those closest to me suffering the brunt of this in abandonment, as this way of life would require that I disappear on them. Sadly, I had no ability to understand someone real might be on the other end of my attentions and desertions. I spent most of my life morally bankrupt, having spent all my credit on maintaining a superficial survival strategy. I was seriously mean to some who were amazingly kind to me, especially as a teenager. There was heartache both superficial and deep. I was my father's daughter in this way. No role could keep me, however, from that which was essentially myself. I remember writing down once that I cast a giant shadow. This long shadow image comes to me always the same way with my standing on the edge of a beach cliff, my back to the setting sun, my form eclipsing the light and sweeping out eastward away from me, the night encroaching. I was more shadow than light, and this would always define me. It was, and it remains, my nature to court darkness. The source of all these roles, of the pretending, is the wound that never heals and the constant reinvention of the persona. The running away to avoid being called out to take responsibility always loomed large. I was in a denial of my humanity, with the constant hunger and need to fill the void. In time, I would discover the possibility of deliverance. I would find an ability to recognize and show up for the shrill cry of those similarly scarred to witness and comfort them. I would become keen on responding to these cries beyond the frequency of an untraumatized ear. Lessons piled upon lessons. They all had to be understood and scaled. This is what an authentic life has demanded of me. A constant drive to fill myself up, to remain balanced, and to climb up as well as climb out.